0: The path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Colonel lust. and things like Working that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual.
1: And... <laughs> <cost>. <laughs> She's, She's actually sitting in
0: the
2: cauldron. The role of the witch is to make change. Years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world following magic and spirit. Now they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is That Witch Life Podcast. I am your host today. I'm Courtney, and I am joined by I am joined. <laughs> Okay, we started recording really early this morning because we have a ritual later today. So, <laughs> I am joined by Hillary, hello, and Kanani, hello. And we've got a really great show today. Um we're going to be interviewing Evo Dominguez Jr. about one of my very favorite topics, should a witch join a coven. <laughs> I have so many thoughts and feelings about it. So many feels. feels. Let's do a whole episode about my feels about Covens. So uh, we are doing a whole episode about my feels about Covens. Great. And then um, Hillary is going to share with us some uh, magic of Blackberry. And Kanani did not review a movie for us this week. So she's got to fill her time with something else. I have nothing. Uh,
3: (laughs) I I offer nothing. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) But I'm okay with that, so everyone <laughs> else must be okay with that as well.
2: No, we're not. I, I like. I, I'm just really marveled by the links you are going to avoid watching. Return to Oz. What are you afraid I of? I slept
0: said. <laughs> I <And then> <laughs> <put> it off <laughs> like twenty times. It's ridiculous.
2: I love it how we were messaging her. Like, so Kanani, could you watch Return to Oz? And there we just got the scene
0: Facebook, Facebook note. Fun-
2: what
3: would be fun? What I should have done is just lied. And then just see how far I could have BS my way through what the movie's about before you guys actually realize that I didn't, in fact, watch the movie.
2: <laughs> oh, you just give away, you away your own gag. You just give away your own gag. Oh my god! <laughs> All right. Well, for
0: next week, then. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's your job for the podcast to do this. I just don't want to watch that one. But fine. Well, I could
3: make
2: you watch one you'd hate more. I'm trying to think of one I might know, hate more. I don't think you're going to hate it. After. You might not. You might not. It's Faruza Balk. She's your girlfriend. You see your girlfriend when she was cute and little. That's true. Yeah. It's great.
3: Maybe Faruza.
2: Right. All right. Okay. So next week, you're going to review Return to Oz. Fine. All right. So in the meantime, how has our magic been this week, friends? So what kind of things are you stirring in your proverbial or actual cauldrons?
0: Well, I have been doing a lot of plant foraging. So I, earlier in the season, foraged a bunch of nettle, uh, which we're actually going to use some in a ritual we do today. Um, And I've been foraging blackberry, and I did another roundup of um, dandelion. And so, yeah, I've been, like, trying to replenish my magical supplies. Um, And other than that, I've just been doing a little bit of altar tending because I've been really bad about it, like so bad. Um, I think that like with summer being busy and a lot going on in my life, I like tend to sometimes forget about how important it is to tend to my altar. And I swear to God, I was like, Oh man, when was the last time I dusted this thing? This is terrible. It's so, a,
2: super spooky. All these cobwebs. You're like, well, aesthetically, aesthetically
0: speaking, I guess this is okay. I mean, it looks really cool, but I'm sure my ancestors are like, the fuck is going on here. <laughs> I have ordered more plants. <laughs> I have a problem. Oh my God. But, yeah, so I've just kind of been – I've been actually, like, mostly focused on, like, um, kind of redialing in my practice. I think that with summer and a lot going on in my life, um, I just got out of the habit of um, some of the more consistent things that I do for magic. So, like, I, for a while, like, was being bad about pouring water out to my ancestors, which I do in the morning. And I was, like, not great with the altar. And I just was like, you know, if I want things to manifest, I have to put effort in. (laughs) So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I really just have spent a lot of time focusing on, on just like kind of re um, making that, making th- those elements of my practice, like back into my routine.
2: No, that's fair. I've been, I've been in a similar place cause the gods and I had a nice big fight a little over a month ago and I deliberately did not tend my altars. <laughs> yeah, I was ign- ignoring, to. ignoring my altars out of spite but, uh, I feel like i'm I'm coming back around again. What I have been doing is i I usually i I usually would do um you know personal cleansings, uncrossing baths and things like mm. when I was on my period or on a new moon or just when I felt the funk. But the thing is about uncrossings and cleansings, the longer you go without doing them, the less you think you should be doing them, and the yes. more jacked up your energy can get. Yes. It's yeah. like, it's so I did a, an uncrossing for myself about two Sunday nights ago. And the message I got was you need to be doing these every Sunday night for the foreseeable future. And I said, okay, so I've been doing those and they're really simple. I, I get in the bathtub. Um, I have some of the, the, uh, outgoing tide water that Kanani, you and I collected when we did that video for you. Yeah. So I throw a little bit of that in the bath like let's you know take away what's what what's what's its time to go because outgoing tide water is all about it's time to go out. It's time to go out. It's it's the most natural banishing solution there is out there and throwing in a little bit of yarrow extract as well. Not like doing a heavy duty ritual just trusting the 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 components to do do the work because when they were bottled, they were told what their job is, you label them and that reminds them what their job is. And so by the time you actually get them into your ritual, yeah, you can remind them what this is for, but they already know. So especially if you're not feeling all that magical, that's a great way to get back Mm. into it. So I've had some, I've found that I'm not being as hard on myself since I started this. I mean, I deal Mm. with a lot of self-criticism And, um, then as I've been doing that, one thing I've been adding to my practice is similar to Hillary, you pour out water for your ancestors. I've been going out into the yard and pouring water to the land spirits. And especially in this time of year in Oregon, it's very, very dry. And so giving some water is uh, a really beautiful gift. And I like the fact that I'm starting my day with honoring the land and this morning I went out there and and I had some emotions about some things I read about in the news. And I felt like for the first time that they were, they were ready to hold that with me and that I wasn't extracting from the land spirits because I'd already given to them. So it felt like it was a more reciprocal
1: nice. moment.
2: And um, I feel good about that. So then when I met with my priestess temple when I've been on sabbatical for about a month and I said, all right, friends, time to get to work. Let's, let's work on moving our, our, uh, our, our agenda forward. We had some goals we had in mind for what we wanted to do with ourselves. And so that was, um, that's, that's been a
3: good thing. My time has been spent mostly with now that we're finally out of quarantine. Yay. Um, Kind of what I've been doing is, is, more kind of what Hillary said, like I've been doing a lot of altar tending because that just kind of when, you know, you're that in a funk and depressed, like you said, you just kind of neglect that and, and don't focus on it, even though really it probably would be the best time to do it. But um, so I've been doing a lot of that kind of stuff, just kind of cleaning things up and also figuring out, you know, kind of doing my my magical shopping list, you know, what herbs would I like to get for the coming year, what uh, oils one of the things I did do, which I think helped a lot was, um, while we were on quarantine is I actually bought a diffuser,
2: okay. which I didn't
3: have. And so I've been kind of trying to do that to kind of cleanse the air throughout the house to just kind of bring in some, some more pleasant vibes. So that's one of the things I want to do a really, really good, um, the, the kids are going to go out of town for a couple of days, which they're super excited about. So while they're gone, I kind of want to do a really thorough uh, kind of house cleansing and washing and just kind of get that
2: funk just officially out of here. So one thing that you might want to think about doing is, do you have a charcoal burner, like an incense I burner? Do. Okay. Try burning some cinnamon on that. You and I did that years ago. We were trying to get ghosts out of your house. Yes. But so even though you don't have your condo isn't haunted with ghosts, but the, maybe I would, I would, you're wanting to bring in fall energy. You're wanting to bring in something fun to me. Cinnamon feels like the fragrance and the energy. Cause it's, it's hot, it's poppy and it reminds people of like really good, good cozy times. Yeah. So that's tomorrow, a good idea. Yeah. So when, when, um, and I actually have some cinnamon sticks. Okay. So I
3: could actually, I could totally do that. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. I just, you know, I think one of the things that happens is, you know, I think we can always, you can always kind of tell if there's kind of a funk in your house, but I think that to me, it's like, if you can tell there's a funk in your house, then it's probably even worse <laughs> right? than you might realize. And you want to make sure just to get any of those little, you know, energies or thought forms that might be sticking around gone. And so that's the other reason why one, I want to do like a really good, you know, cleansing, but I also feel like I need to kind of go through and do a really, really good cleaning as well, just to kind of get that, but just having, I, I was, I've been very amazed at how uplifting just having the diffuser going in the room has been because mm-hmm. you can change the sense and the sense can really kind of give you a little bit of a pick me up and, and you know, feel a little better, you know, visually, it's kind of, you know, the kids think it's kind of fun to watch. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I've been really excited and happy that we did that because one, I've always wanted a diffuser, but two, I felt like it really helped to kind of help balance a lot of the kind of sad energy and, and bored energy that's just kind of existed in the house. So.
2: Yeah. What I would also recommend is, You know, you have carpet in your house, so I think doing a floor wash might be kind of difficult. Um, But I don't know if you have like a carpet cleaner you could use and have some have some um, some uh, some of the water in there with charged with some of the things that you want to have like a little little bit of your ocean water. Maybe um, lavender, I know, is one of your favorite things. Do you have a carpet cleaner? I don't. But what I usually do if I do something like that is
3: I will either um, sometimes I will. Uh, spritz, like, an oil, essential oil or something on, like, baking soda. Oh, okay. And, like, sprinkle it on the carpet and then vacuum it up. Oh, that's a great idea. Or, like you said, you the other thing that I've done before is, like, you can spritz things on the carpet and then just kind of vacuum over them. So mm-hmm. it's, like, it's not – washing per se, but it's cleaning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And starting at the back of your house and your, this will actually be pretty easy for you because your house is kind of, is is kind of a rectangular shape. So you could start at the back and then go all the way to your front door and kick it out the front door. Exactly. So that's, that's going to be, that's going to be good for you that way. Hillary, would you be willing to, um, talk with us about blackberry magic? This is really, I, I feel like the, we're at the peak of blackberry season, at least in the Pacific Northwest. So, um, tell us what kind of magic these little berries can do for us
0: or their yeah. thorns. So blackberry is great. Um, I use blackberry a lot, one, because in the Pacific Northwest here, it's just like, I, <laughs> I feel like if we didn't trim it back, it would become, it would take over our houses. Yes. Um, So uh, and it has ruined, ruined many offenses. Blackberry is a great magical tool. Uh, It's everywhere here in the Pacific Northwest, as you mentioned. And so it's, it's easy to come by. Um, In fact, if you don't cut it down, it'll take over your whole life. Um, So, so like any invasive, because it is invasive, like any invasive plant or incredibly resilient plant, Um, It's good in magic. So Blackberry specifically is good for three different things. It's good for healing, money, and protection. So traditionally, Blackberry was used to heal um, burns, like the leaves would be used to heal a burn um, or heal skin ailments. So because it was used as that previously, I feel like it holds also. Like we said, like sometimes the medicinal form of things also takes on what the magical form does. So I find it to be really good in healing spells. Um, uh, but the thing that I use it most frequently for is for protection. And so there's a couple easy, easy ways to, to use it for protection. Um, you can grind up uh, the leaves and, uh, and put, use it with other herbs in a spell. You can, Cut the stalks with the thorns. And I would say like wear some serious gardening gloves while you do this because you'll otherwise cut the shit out of your hands. But you can turn it – you can either put it above your door, like just the branches, or you can put it – a lot of people will put it into a wreath. So you can make it a wreath, even a pentagram wreath I've seen before. Um, But I've used it as a wreath before that you hang on your door – Uh, those thorns are not welcoming, so it will not welcome things that you don't want in there. So it's, it's really good for protection in that sense. Um, and then for prosperity, you can, similar to any of the other herbs, like you could carry, um, uh, a, you can use it in prosperity spells. You could use it to dress a candle. Again, when you're dressing candles with herbs, please be really careful. If you put too much, uh, it can light them on fire. So just make sure that you are like prepared to keep an eye on that. Um, you can also um you can, you could carry a leaf in your wallet just like we talked about with mint um and so it's 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 a, a really multi-use herb and also i mean it's very easy to come by and it's i find that so with prosperity the thing that i think is really useful with it is that because it grows so rampantly right it grows so huge so fast and is so resilient that's what you want out of your finances too right if you're doing prosperity magic you want your your money your finances your success to grow and this thing will grow through anything it tried to grow through my deck okay so like if you (laughs) so if you want some really good um really good magic uh with Uh, for prosperity um, or for protection or healing. But yeah, blackberry can be used in many different ways and I like it easy to find. Um, Oh, the other thing you can do is uh, you can also give the berries as an offering. Um, That's a good idea. I Mm -hmm. use blackberries as an offering on my altar because it's like easy. They're sweet. Spirits tend to like them because of that. They're also just like, I don't know. They're just, they seem decadent when you're eating them, you know, it's like, they're so delicious. So, you know, you, if you're pulling out that weed, pull out some of those berries and you can, um, you can, uh, you can either smush them down into some sort of like jam or paste. Um, uh, or you can put them, um, just the berries on, on your altar as an offering.
2: I really appreciate that. Cause I feel like for me, this is the last weekend when the berries are really going to be good. Cause they kind of dry up after Labor Day weekend. Yeah. So I'm going to be, when we're done with our ritual today, I'm going to be doing some foraging for some blackberry, um, yeah. So th- thank you for that. That's some great, some great summertime magic. Yeah, so, no yeah. So speaking of our ritual, we've got our first, uh, that witch life virtual ritual for our Patreon subscribers today. Um, no idea how it's going to go. It was, we're recording this before we do the rituals, So it could be a total shit show. Uh, but I don't think it will be, <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you, yeah, with us, so it'll be a
0: little bit of a shit show.
2: Uh, yeah, but I think that people have come to expect that. And, um, but in the meantime, um, if you're not able to join us today, or if you're not yet a patron. Um, It will be recorded and posted to our Patreon page so that you can uh, perform the work at a different time. So yeah, so if you want to check out The Ritual or other bonus content, definitely become a patron. It starts at just a dollar a month and you get all kinds of access to great content. If you cannot commit to a monthly payment, which we certainly understand, you can always buy us a coffee or check out some of our merchandise on our Etsy store. Kanani just made these beautiful Sawin era cards which will be really great to send to your witchy friends and just to let everybody know between now and the end of september we are donating 10 percent of all of our proceeds to um, rescue efforts in both central iowa and in california in the wake of the storm and the fire so 10 um, percent of our proceeds will be going to united way of central iowa and habitat for humanity of los angeles who is addressing the housing needs across all of these two states So I guess it is time to bring on our special guest. All right. So we are delighted to welcome Ivo Dominguez Jr., who has been active in Wicca and the pagan community since 1978. He currently serves as one of the elders of the Assembly of the Sacred Wheel, a Wiccan syncretic tradition. The form of Wicca that the Assembly practices is syncretic and draws inspiration from astrology, Kabbalah, and the Western magical tradition and the folk religions of Europe. His techniques and insights are rooted in a synthesis of traditional metaphysical teachings, modern science, and memories from past lives. He is a part of the core group that studied and manages the New Alexandrian Library Project. Ivo is the author of Keys to Perception, Practical Astrology for Witches and Pagans, Casting Sacred Space, Spirit Speak, Knowing and Understanding Spirit Guides, Ancestors, Ghosts, Angels, and the Divine, Beneath the Skins, and the forthcoming, The Four Elements of the Wise. In his mundane life, he has been a computer programmer, the executive director of an AIDS HIV service organization, a bookstore owner, and many other things. And I will include Matchmaker, Evo. You knew the story was coming. That's one of my hobbies. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Kanani, I think you know the story, but Hillary, I don't think you know. Evo actually set me up with my husband.
1: Yep. (laughs) Really? Yes. Yes. You
0: didn't know that? I don't think I knew that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We met at a festival. Um, I was deep into my hot mess phase. But Evo managed to look past that and say, "No, even though she's a little nuts, I think I'm going to hook her up with this guy who's also a little nuts." And I think, and he was sitting on this for like a year.
1: Oh yeah, I was waiting <laughs> I for an it. opportunity. No, no, I waited. I, I, I waited until the, pos- the, the possibility for it, and then uh, there was going to be a uh, workshop that was being hosted at our place, and it happened to be with. Uh, um, uh, uh, Gavin Bone and Janet Farrar. And I said, ah, this is a great way to entice Courtney down here. And she was like, oh, but I can't afford it. And I said, oh, well, it'll be free for you. We have space. You can sleep in the house.
2: (laughs) And meanwhile, meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, he's over there going, are
1: I do have a mustache to twirl. Yeah,
0: he's world <laughs> and everything. Oh my god, I can like picture this so clearly in my brain. <laughs> well,
2: and it was it was funny because the first time we spoke was over the phone, and he was and my now husband was in a really bad mood when I called. He's like, "What Are do you, you want?" And I'm like, "Oh my god, who the hell is this?" You're like, and it's, what? what happened? <laughs> well, bless his heart, he was trying to study, and the phone would not stop ringing. He was living with Evo and his husband at the time, Right. and um, I was like, "All right, whatever." cranky guy on the phone. And so I <laughs> drove down and uh, the whole time I'm like laughing was with my friend Tamara. And I was like, why the hell am I going to Delaware? I just, and I was really frustrated because I just had a terrible breakup and I was dating somebody and it wasn't going very well. And I was like, And and she said, well, I think if you just keep doing what you do and follow your path, the right person just shows up. And I didn't want to be rude, but in my mind, I was like, well, I got to (laughs) stop going to Delaware to hang out with gay men and older women every weekend studying witchcraft because that's not where I'm going to meet somebody. And that night I showed up and Eva was like, oh, you have food. Well, you know what? Why don't you put that in the back fridge around the corner? And I'm like, okay. And I walk back there and there's this really hot guy hiding (laughs) because he was like oh we're gonna have guests i don't want to meet anybody i need to study and then we're both like oh hello and the next morning we're having coffee and he and i are like oh so you studied theater yeah i studied theater oh you're back in school oh i'm back in school and i look around and evo his husband and my friend had all vanished they're like hiding under couches or something and just (laughs) like like oh the single people the single people are connecting let's go away and hide (laughs) And, and at my wedding, I'm coming down the stairs and I make eye contact with Evo, and he has his twinkle in his eye, like I knew it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it, it did actually get to the point that I had to, you know, out loud announce, "Oh, this is Brian, our token straight guy." <laughs>
2: he's like, "Just need you to know, he's not our third; he is straight." And then later, he's later, later, according to my husband, he's he's like, "So, Courtney thinks you're cute," and my husband was like, "You think?" Ugh. Like. <laughs> oh Apparently God. I was coming on a little strong, which for me was really? not strong at all. No, well, for me, exactly. it was actually, I was, I was kind of keeping it in, but for the rest of the world, it's coming on strong. Because
0: I know. I was like shocking. You came on strong. <laughs>
2: <laughs> kind of like a ghost pepper. I'm like, well, it was only a touch, but for the rest of the world, that's Can like, that's imagine? a
0: lot. Can you imagine what it would have been like if you actually came on strong? <laughs> he would have crawled out the window and I never would have seen him again. Like I had the
2: sense right away. I'm like, "Mm, don't pull your normal bullshit with this one. He's not going to take it well. And I still can't pull my normal bullshit with him. I have to like make up new bullshit all the time. So. Oh my God. So Ivo, um, thanks for coming on and for talking about, uh, not just my personal life, but, uh, one of my very (laughs) favorite topics in the world, which is to coven or not, the thing that you and I have discussed for, uh, for hours at a time yeah. and yes <laughs> and um but our first question we ask our guests is when did you first realize you were a witch hmm.
1: i think i'm going to say depends on how you define witch, and if we do it as broadly as possible then i'm gonna say probably middle school I certainly already had had a variety of uh, psychic experiences and spiritual experiences from earliest childhood, but in, I guess, middle school, I started to read, find, discover things about witchcraft that weren't just about witch trials, and began to kind of do my own, find a couple of uh, uh, loose stones in the forest, actually a few days ago. I posted a uh, uh, linoleum block print I did in sixth grade and uh, was reminded that uh, the art teacher at the time liked me. So I said, hey, can I get some copper and some tin and some gold foil and whatnot? And he he was like, fine, because I was making art projects, but honestly, I was making amulets using the planetary metals in middle school. And... I was, I was anointing, I was anointing candles. I mean, I was doing stuff that was very witchy and it was anywhere from what, what I would call kitchen witchery to, uh, low end ceremonial stuff based on the books that I had found. So I was always a weird kid and realized that witch was probably the right word fairly early on. I didn't actually meet people that were witches self identified and actually knew something until I was in high school, but uh, yeah, I always knew that this was where I was going to end up. There was a moment in time that I thought perhaps I would go the ceremonial magic route, but I was more community focused than most of those groups, so that was and I liked being outdoors in the woods too much
2: and you have the most ideal place for doing both high holy ritual and community work that I've ever seen. Because you're on, what, 100 acres in southern Delaware?
1: It's a little over 100 acres. Uh, The number actually varies between 102 and 105 every time they redo a survey because the uh, markers Mm. are so old and rotten. But it doesn't matter. It's a, a big chunk of woods, and on actually on two sides at state forest so that it certainly gives the impression of being a, a much larger space even though that's big to begin with because we've got red forest now on two sides and uh we are in lovely woods and uh the houses on the property were built specifically with the intention of, of offering space for community so uh we have a large great room that's used for uh, ritual workshops potlucks as does uh the uh, other dome on the property uh at next door and we also have like four or five uh, ritual spaces out in the woods of different sizes a sweat lodge a little stone lodge that's used mostly for shamanic work sometimes for sweat lodge a shrine to uh sekhmet there's a heck there's a uh, Hades Shrine going up next year, and, and a few others after. But there's we have a lot of space, and uh, and the NAL library is located here now. But but it's all been a long journey. I mean, we've been over on this land for over thirty years now, so it, was, it wasn't 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 all at once.
2: Yeah, it's it's so. I mean, I used to come down there every other weekend when uh, my husband and I were first dating, and um, it. I once said to Evo, I my dreams are so vivid, and my waking moments are so surreal when I'm with you all that I can't always tell when I look back over the weekend, I can't always tell what I dreamt and what actually like happened in my waking life. And so I would have to sometimes piece it together with Evo and Evo would say, Oh, I had that same dream. So let me sit and think
1: yeah. <laughs> that was that. Was... We, we've had some people sleep over and have trouble sleeping.
2: <laughs> so one of the reasons we wanted to do this episode is we get a lot of questions from listeners about, um, joining a coven. If they should join a coven, what their problems they're having with their coven, problems they have with the former coven. And so it's a really big topic for witches, should they join a coven or not? And before we even get into that, it'd be good to to hear what you think a coven is. I mean, according to which witchcraft writer you talk about, that, that description can vary widely. But Evo, in your ideals, what is a coven?
1: Well, and i won't argue that uh, there aren't a dozen if not two dozen completely valid approaches to what a coven is but i'm going to say that what a coven is falls into the same category as uh, what is a relationship what is a community it's not so easily defined but i can tell you my preferences when uh, i've i've run a coven I'm currently connected to 14 Covens as an elder, and I view Coven as a hybrid creature that is partly community, partly a community of practice, partly a training ground, partly a uh, system for uh, spiritual evolution, and though some people in my tradition use the word family, to describe their coven. I actually don't like referring to covens as family because it invokes and creates all manner of bad situations. So uh, if you are part of a coven in my my way of looking at things, you are a full-fledged member of a community which means you owe something to each other, but you don't owe everything. Uh, if somebody's family, I owe much more to them than I do uh, people that are part of my community. So that's why I make a distinction there. But you also have uh, a willingness to have people in your business. The whole point of being in a working group... Uh, and Which can inadvertently be like a therapeutic community, though that shouldn't be its outlined purpose. You have something that is likely to rub against your rough edges so that you can uh, explore who you are. And I always tell people that sometimes the most annoying person in your coven is exactly the person that you have the most to learn from. But it requires a lot of work to keep a coven healthy especially when there are differences of opinion or differences of, of expectation about what a coven should be.
2: Why, why might a coven be helpful for a witch?
1: Well, uh, for one, if it is, and it's always a matter of if it's kind of like, is love a good thing or a bad thing? Depends. Is a coven a good thing or a bad thing? Depends. But let's say it's a healthy functioning coven or uh, one that uh, averages healthy over the course of time. If somebody is exploring their magic, exploring their psychism, it's valuable, or spiritual experiences, to have other people to bounce ideas off of and experiences to be both validated and also to be reeled in and told, you know what, I don't think that sounds right, or I think you're being too hard on yourself, or I think that you you need to have other people to work with this because... Magic, spirituality, dealing with the unseen realms is a very slippery thing. And if you're doing it completely solo uh, and don't have friends that you can rely upon or, or understanding of this, it's difficult to get genuine, useful feedback. Moreover, there's some things that only occur when you hit a certain level, and I don't mean of elevation or degrees or whatever, but so for example, let's say there's a big, large uh, uh, boulder in the backyard. I can push out on it forever and it will not move because it's too big for me. If I get two or three people helping me to get it rolling, we can now make it roll. And once it's rolling, I can actually keep it rolling because it has overcome the inertia or it has reached the velocity that it needs. Sometimes group ritual... Uh, allows you to break through to discover what's possible or to have enough presence of spiritual power or energy so that you actually begin to open up and perceive. And it kind of like cracks you open so that it becomes possible. So it can act as an, an elevation of sorts that way. There's another thing, too. We're surrounded by a world where the vast majority of people are dismissive of the of magic of spirituality of the existence of other things and frankly in in the atmosphere there are thought forms there are energies that is the background noise of the culture that says this is all bunk and when you are with a group of people that forms uh a, a a little huddle of 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 uh, of community and power it's like having a windbreak so you can get out of the uh, prevailing currents and storm of the culture long enough to feel what it feels like to be with like-minded people and then explore what you believe and don't believe without the pressure of the culture's background mindset so there's a lot of things that can come of being in a coven that are that are positive you can also Have the opportunity to have somebody who has experienced more or learned a bit more pass on the information in ways that cannot be transmitted through books uh, or or through even a Zoom workshop, because I've been doing those lately. Because sometimes you actually need to be in the presence of somebody to say, "Hey, uh, you might want to try this, or you might want to shift your energy." Or here, let me let me uh, let me sit next to you and and move my energy or consciousness where it needs to be and see if you can follow. In the same way that if you're standing next to somebody who knows a song that you don't know well, you can sing along because you have them in the side uh, listening in one ear what the, what the song should be like. So there are ways in which up close, or another way of thinking about it. Is like a spotter if you're doing gymnastics or gym work, and you need somebody there to make sure you don't hurt yourself, or that your or that your form is right, so that you can have somebody to check you. The problem, and then I'll, I'll say this, and then stop talking for a moment, is that often the people that you find to be in a coven with don't necessarily have the experience, background, or training to offer that kind of guidance, and there's a pressure for them to fake it, uh, and and that can lead to terrible things.
2: God, there's so much truth in what you said, and it's it's funny. I feel like covens go in and out of fashion, and I feel like we've been in... Um, and it's interesting to see how the pandemic is changing this mindset, but I feel like we've been in in an anti-coven, like covens have been uncool for a really long time and people, I don't want to be in a coven. I don't like the, you know, but at the same time, people are craving community, which is why I think these online Facebook groups are really thriving right now. Yeah. But I feel like it's exactly what you said. It's a lot of, there's a lot of misinterpretation that can happen when all you're doing is speaking in text block and, um, the 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 act of being with people in person magic is a physical act as much as it is an intellectual act so being in um i think that what you're saying is so right on that being in the space physically with someone is is so absolutely crucial well something
3: something else you said that i thought was was really pertinent kind of especially in the times that we're in now where people have kind of quarantined themselves with things that are exactly the same as Particularly in magic, I mean, I, you could say it with all life, but particularly with magic and magical practices, I think it's important to be able to have people kind of be able to check you a little bit, and that way you don't start spinning out to where every experience you have is like this magical experience and profound, and you start kind of, you know, losing a little bit of touch with the reality. Yeah, I think being able to have that kind of feedback where people can can, um, not reassure, but people can, you know, uh, agree with some of the things you're saying and relate and be like, Oh yeah, you know, I've, I've had that same experience and I understand that. And, and then have other people go, mm, maybe that's just something that happened.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's interesting. I, you know, I never was drawn towards joining the coven. It just wasn't something that felt appealing to me. And maybe that's just because I was like, I mean, I think part of it is like my journey into witchcraft was very much about like rejecting any sort of traditional structure because I was like, I hate everything religious. You know, it was just this, like, I was so frustrated by the time that I was figuring out that my belief system didn't have to be this structure that I didn't like that I had grown up with in, in, uh, in Christian faith. And so I think that like the idea of joining something for me, just, I was like, it just didn't feel it was like my whole body rejected. It. I was like, Ooh, I don't know about that. But what I do know is that as I've come along in my own magical practice, I found it invaluable to have community. And so like, I do understand, and I think I've come to a place where, I mean, while maybe coven life for me, isn't what felt right that I I, I find having magical community community around me is such a huge factor in how I progress in my own practice. Um, because again, as Kanani said, it's that having that sounding board that someone to kind of just like pulse what you're feeling to get advice when you're stuck in a situation. So, um, and I think that, you know, when I was going at it on my own and not that I did things wrong necessarily, but I didn't always do them the easiest way or the most efficient way or, or know exactly what I was doing. Definitely got in over my head a few times. So I now, as I've, as I've found more community, uh, in, in among magical people, I find it to be so useful to have that community around me to, you know, I mean, cause before it was just me calling Courtney, <laughs>
2: Jesus. I like had, oh. I was running my coven and then I was dealing with the, the coven of Hillary and Kanani who were always like, what's going on? And I'm going, okay. Yeah, like,
0: so I did this thing.
2: <laughs> I have one other example of how um, being in a coven is, um, can be helpful in your magical practice in that I had a covener that was the, that was really focused on getting a girlfriend. That's really what he wanted. And that was really his main focus. And so he'd been doing a lot of devotions to pan to get what, as he would say in his own words, a woman, he wanted a woman. So he was seeing a pan could help him, but every time he'd approach women, they would walk away from him. They would move away from him. They would run away from him. And finally I said down, I said, you, you, you know, Pan didn't really have luck with the ladies. Um, his whole story is about chasing the nymphs and rarely catching them. And when they are caught, they weren't too happy about it. And he was like, oh, I'm like, yeah, that's not your guy for a girlfriend. And he's like, okay. I think in, in those circumstances, you're, you do need that person to look from the outside and say, you, you need to look at this from a different perspective, because this is a reason why you're having, your magic is working, and that's the problem. I also want to ask Evo, when would a witch want to avoid coven membership? Like, do you ever come across a witch and you think, yeah, that person is better off on their own?
1: Well, actually, if somebody wants to join one of our covens, it's a long process. Uh, They attend open workshops. They attend whatever open rituals there may be. And then after uh, six months to a year, uh, then there's a, a meeting where the coveners and that person get together and ask each other a 1,001 questions. And sometimes that results in the person joining, and other times that results in the person saying, you know, I don't want to be here. Or the coven saying, you know, maybe this isn't the right time or the right place for you. It's not a good idea to join if the reason that you're joining a coven is because you want friends or because you want family. Total. It's not a good idea to join a coven if you think that somehow the coven will uh, provide you with all the things you need to become more powerful and more magical over time. That The coven provides an opportunity for that, but doesn't actually make that possible. So there's also people that are just not uh, group people. And this isn't a question of how extroverted or introverted someone is, etc. But it's a question of uh, whether or not you are willing to be uh, a collaborator. Because another way to look at a coven is that a coven is a lot like a musical group. If you are going to always want to go off and uh, do your own thing in the middle of of a performance, then the group will not sound so great. So it has to be somebody who also has investigated, uh, is this the right place for me? So for example, I had somebody uh, recently who had been attending classes of mine that I've taught over the years and, and gatherings and bookstores and whatnot, say, hey, what do you think about me joining one of your covens? And I said, well, I don't think you'll be happy. Why? I say, you're talented, you're intelligent, you are a deep thinker, and you don't have patience for people that are slow. Here's the thing. Covens, I, I, from my perspective, the healthiest covens or, or groves or lodges or fill in the blank for whatever name for that kind of uh, small, close organization right. thing. Right? are ones that are like a bell-shaped curve of people, where you have people that uh, vary in their in their backgrounds in every way imaginable, including uh, their commitment. And I said, you won't like our covens because not everybody there is devotional, and you're very devotional. Or for a different person, I would say, you won't like our covens because you don't have patience with people that want to do... Uh, a day of hanging out together and eating and doing arts and crafts instead of doing deep dives into arcane literature. If you expect everybody in the coven to be a copy of you, then you shouldn't be in a coven. Mm, that's such a good point. That's such a good point.
2: Yeah. And they do take an incredible amount of patience. Yeah. And that's something that um, we talked about this earlier in the year is that one of the challenges, a lot of people, leave covens thinking, well, that was a terrible experience. Everything went bad. And I went, well, you know, covens, they bring out the worst in people. They can also bring out the uh, best in people, but it's it's hard for us to remember that when you're, you're facing the worst.
1: Well, and, and, and also why we intentionally change some of the uh, parameters in our covens oh. covens, unfortunately can turn into a, a, uh, reflection screen projection screen mirror maze of uh, all the things that ever happened to you with your family and friends. Oh my God, I finally found my people. It's like coming home. By the way, the same is true if you're queer or a dozen other things. Uh, Oh my God. I'm, and I have such high expectations. And then you, and then you play out all the old tapes yeah. and all the old tropes and all the old stories of everything before you expected to play differently because these are now your people and these are so special and these are so whatever and and the bottom line is that the covens that I see or the groves or lodges that seem healthiest are the ones that have very porous boundaries or are intentionally interconnected so for the same reason that I think that extended family has a better chance of being healthy than nuclear mm-hmm. family if you, have, if you have grandmoms and granddads and aunts and uncles and cousins and a bunch of other people around, you can say, hey, you know, uh, do you think this is okay or can you help me out? I want to talk about this, but I can't talk to mom or I can't talk to my brother. So covens that do the we are so special and powerful that we're going to create this little wall and it's kind of like abusive relationships where they say you can only study with us or you can only be with our group of people and we're so much better than everybody else covens that are integrated with other covens or the community that act like extended family are going to be able to pop those bubbles and say you know what you're doing or you know if you're not happy we'll help you find another coven
0: yeah it's interesting it's i one i think we talked about this on a previous episode where when, I mean, when I think people, when people join a coven or any, really any close, like kind of tighter knit group, right. I think that it's important to remember that like you as a member of that group have a responsibility to take care of your own shit, right? Like you can't come in with, I mean, we all, okay, look, we all have trauma. There's undoubtedly that is true in all of all Absolutely. had experiences and that and of course that carries with us. But when you join a close-knit community, and it literally any community, and you haven't dealt with or at least figured out how to deal with some of your own trauma, and you come in and you project everything that you have carried with you onto everyone else, it's irresponsible. So it's like, it's why like in my close knit group of friends, like I'm such a huge advocate for going to therapy, doing other means to help with mental health, making sure that right. when you come into these scenarios, that you understand the responsibility you have for owning and taking care of your own shit so that it doesn't cause problems with anyone else. I mean, that's true in relationships of any sort, in community in any sort. But I, I I've noticed in communities or like covens or close knit groups that where people are vulnerable in a lot of ways with each other. I have found that there's a tendency for people to not have not dealt with that. And when they get into this vulnerable space, which I think is a really beautiful space, but if you haven't handled your shit and you get into this vulnerable space, it's very easy for it to then explode all over everybody else. And that's not fair. So it's like, I'm just a huge advocate for when you're joining these spaces, make sure that you're doing the work on you because that group doesn't exist to do the work on
1: you. Well, one of the things that we also encourage everyone in our covens is that continue to have your own daily practice, your own rituals, your own spiritual work, uh, you should be doing the same stuff that you liked before you met us. And you should not rely on the coven's rituals for the fullness of everything that makes you a witch, a magician a sorcerer or whatever it is you are. So if you don't continue doing your own magic, in addition to doing the group work, it's not balanced also.
2: Yeah. And it's also one of the things that I tried to drive home to people is that covens are supportive, but they are not support groups and covens can be therapeutic, but they are yeah. not therapy. Now, um, Eva, you've, you've referenced the assembly of the sacred wheel, your tradition, and yeah. I would go so far as to say that it is, it is certainly the most successful network of covens that I have ever seen. Um, and so I'm wondering for those who are not as familiar with the assembly, if you could sure. talk about what it is and what makes your coven so successful. Oh, yeah,
0: I want to hear this.
1: From the get-go, uh, the structure of the assembly was a social science experiment, uh, kind of trying to engineer something that would have the best of what we liked about covens and remove some of the issues. So the first thing is that the coven does not belong to the clergy. Uh, whether it was founded by a high priestess or two people or or whatever, the coven is in the hands of the assembly, the high priestess, high priest, now we've added the term priestex, uh, whatever the, whoever the leadership is that founds the coven does not own the coven. Uh, eventually somebody else will be running it. They may move on. So first and foremost, it's hammered in. This is not your coven. You are simply its steward. And that makes a big difference all by itself. The other thing is that the leadership uh, we have quarterly sometimes more often uh, meetings so that anyone who is involved in leading one of our covens has we have a meeting that's basically a comparing notes sometimes it's just checking in sometimes it's problem solving so there's an actual peer group of other coven leaders to help you. Am I insane? Am I getting this right? Am I doing it wrong? So, so there is a, a peer group for the people that are leading the covens, which helps bring some sanity to it. Next thing, our initiations uh, are open to guests Uh, We are an open-source tradition. We specifically don't have any oath-bound material, and the person being initiated can invite not just other witches, but they can invite their significant other or or, or an important friend, non-witches, to attend their, their ritual which is a way of allowing them to integrate their life and their people people get to see what's going on. Also, we designed our initiation rituals, so especially for, like, the first degree, yeah, a coven can do it. Our second degree ritual is almost impossible to do unless you borrow ritualists from some of our other covens to intensify the connection between covens. Same with the third degree. <clears throat> Big difference with the third degree, which in our system is the marker of becoming um, full-fledged clergy. Uh, the decision is not made by the uh, by the covenant leaders of the Coven the person's in. when that person has uh, completed enough of uh, their training, what occurs next is uh, they're presented and all the thirds and above we're a five degree system. Uh, we don't have any fifths yet. all the thirds get together. That, uh, if we have a quorum, we interview the person, uh, the person leaves, there's a vote. If there's a majority of third degrees that believe this person should be a third degree, then they become a third. So by taking away the power to grant that from one or two hands, it becomes a community event. Moreover, the teaching Uh, almost all of our coveners are trained in more than one coven. Like let's say you're working on your first degree or your secondary or whatever. And one of the things you want to know more about is uh, runes, but uh, your coven leaders aren't uh, big on runes. You get fostered out to one of our other covens so that that person in another coven who's who's uh, well adept at that teaches that part to you, writes up a report saying, I affirm that this person has completed what they need to know. So it intentionally gets the person learning in multiple covens beyond their own, which gets them to see, oh, is this normal or not? Is this the way we could do things in our assembly covens or not? So there is, in every step of the way, there's an intentional uh, cross-fertilization and mixing. Uh, The covens are encouraged to hold uh, larger events that they put together in groups of two, three, or four covens. We have an annual retreat where uh, any and all members in all covens are are, are encouraged to attend We have an eight-times-a-year newsletter that goes out that contains reports from each of the covens and reports from what's going on in people's lives and poetry and artwork. There's an active effort to make sure that everybody is available. Moreover, the role I'm in uh, as an elder, uh, besides being a general resource, blah, 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 the elders uh, are members of all the covens in an ex officio way so that if a member is having a problem with something then the uh, elders act as ombuds people to try to mediate fix or figure out what's going on and if it's a really big deal then it goes to uh, a vote of of uh, the of the community now i will say that we have three forms of uh, of uh, decision making and we use all three sometimes it's good old fashioned uh, we're going to vote on it at the coven level, matters related to uh, uh, coven spiritual stuff, the way they do ritual, etc., it's got to be a consensus vote of the bonded members. And bonded doesn't necessarily mean high-level initiate, but a long-term commitment. And then for specific things like running a conference or running an event or a particular project, we can also appoint people as temporary autocrats because it's hard to get things done uh, by consensus or voting if it's a time-limited thing so we mix and match the kind of decision making to the thing that is needed we also have had a, a kind of an open door policy there are people that have left the assembly and returned the assembly depending upon their geography or what's going on in their life uh which it's not so so that it's more like uh We've had people transfer from one coven to another because they've moved to a different place. And there's a process to make that easier so that you don't give that up immediately. I guess there's a lot more thought about how do we act more like a living community and the coven is not viewed as, the, uh, as, as just the only center of the universe. If you're a member of the assembly, you're a member of a coven, but you're as much a member of the whole community as you are of that small group of people
3: or another thing I thought that I really liked that you said about when Courtney asked, you know, what, what helps to make you guys be so successful and, and continue on was your comment about how, you know, you're not, you're not the leader of the coven. You're the steward because some of the things like that you hear about and some of the horror stories that, you know, Courtney and I have heard about and talked about and people tell us about are these groups where all of a sudden like it came together in kind of a really beautiful way. And then all of a sudden the person who started it like has just kind of completely gone off their rocker and now thinks that they are, you know, in charge of these people's lives and dictating, you know, these new laws and order that these people have to follow. And you're just like, wow, that took a turn.
1: Well, one of the things that we we have actually removed, I think at this point, Two, we've actually removed people from leading covens because uh, we heard too many complaints, we saw too many things going wrong, and uh basically we said, you have to step down. Uh it, And uh, if you don't want to step down and you just want to remain a member, we'll assign somebody as a proctor for your coven. And in, in the case of one coven, uh, Moonfire actually was the first time we had to do it. The person was... Really good at the beginning, and then uh, got really full of themselves. and they also liked teaching and working everywhere except their coven because they they were so beyond them. so we we offered the person, you can remain as a member and we'll and uh, we'll we'll have one of the other thirds basically uh, hang over your shoulder for the next year and a day. And of course, the person said, well, F no, and left. So for the next year and a half, the thirds from the other neighboring covens took turns leading the workshops, leading the rituals, until somebody in that coven could be brought up to the point of being able to run the coven on their own. And if somebody doesn't have a third but needs to run a coven, but they've trained enough, then they become an acting high priest, acting high priestess, acting priestess. So they don't have the third degree, but we're acknowledging them as the leader of that coven or in one case we've, we we uh, have a covenant, uh, uh that's been you know t- sending little messages to the elders and uh I won't name names or covens or whatever but there are times in which also it's not that the covenant leadership is being awful but let's say somebody is ill or is in a, a depressive state or any number of other things that happens life happens then uh There's people from other covens that can come and help lead rituals and workshops while the person takes a a breather.
2: But one of the things that we had in our discussion this morning was what I've coined the evil queen phenomenon, in which one of the challenges that I have seen in covens is that... um, a lot of, and this isn't just magical people, I think it's people in general, a lot of, there are people who believe that their story, their personal story must have a villain. Yes. And that person, that villain is responsible for all the misdeeds. I find, and I know it's not just with women. I absolutely know it's not just yep. with women, but I find it's very common with a woman in power. I mean, we saw it last, <laughs> the last election that she becomes the evil queen. And so I'm wondering how the assembly addresses like the evil queen phenomenon when suddenly someone is blaming their leader for everything that's going on in their lives. And the leader is, maybe they've drawn a boundary, maybe they lost their temper. Maybe they're not always, you know, the friendliest person, but they're not really, they don't really deserve the uh, the kind of villainy that they're getting. How, how does the assembly address that?
1: Well, and every situation is different because details matter. However, uh, general things, Sometimes we we uh I can think of uh, somebody right right now in my head that is currently doing great is actually uh, uh leading one of our covens but there was a moment in their history where they were locking horns in that particular fashion that you're describing and and uh they were ready to leave the assembly and uh a couple of people talked them down off that ledge by saying can you survive long enough until you until you uh, get your uh, degree well i don't know well ultimately they were talked down but the other option which you have also done is uh, start you know announce that you tell tell your coven leadership that you intend to move to one of the other covens sometimes the only way to solve it is to have the person, if they still wish to be a member of the assembly, move to another covenant. By the way, that's easier than you think because uh, one of the reasons why the assembly isn't all over the country is that we have a rule about geography. Our covens our groups, are grouped in sets of four, uh, like the four elements, and uh, none of the covens can be more than two and a half uh three hours most away from each other, most are much closer. And then there's overlapping groups so that there's usually a coven actually that's geographically convenient that you can transfer to if you're in that scenario. So sometimes we try to encourage that if that doesn't work or that's not a viable option, we've actually had uh, sessions where we have the elders have a uh, act as mediators uh, in a conversation between the parties in question, or we ask the person to, uh, have you considered taking a sabbatical as a cooling off period? And during that time, feel free to attend some other uh, coven's rituals or, or workshops. And sometimes you have to say, uh, and we've done this. I don't think it's about uh, the person. If, if there were something really wrong right now, believe me, we'd be following up on you. But have you considered that there's something about them that is, is triggering for you? We have encouraged uh, therapy on more than one occasion We've also had some people whose, uh, whose uh, degree or initiations were contingent upon successfully completing therapy, but it depends on the situation. But I guess the difference is, is that we have developed a habit of having hard conversations with each other, knowing that there are other people that will uh, help you hold it together while those hard conversations are happening, because if you don't have somebody that is close enough to understand what's going on, but not actually outside the dynamic— then you can't actually get through some of those talks.
2: So what would you recommend in a case? Because it's 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 rare. It's a, it's a rare setup for covens to have that kind of, of, of support sure. and network backup. So say, for example, there's a coven that's, you know, out in the, uh, you know, it, pretty much isolated as a kind of a part of the country where there aren't as many pagan groups yep. around. So you've got... Now, how, might, how would you recommend they work through their challenges either amongst each other or with leadership when they don't really have community around them?
1: Let's think outside the box of the pagan community for a moment. Uh, there may be somebody that in the local UU church, there may be somebody in the local Quaker group, there may be somebody in the local Alternatives to Violence project. You may have access to people that are willing to act as mediators if, if it's important enough for you to do that kind of work. Another option is, are there any other like-minded sp- People that you know, and even if they're not geographically close, like one of the other things that uh, I'm I'm a party to is uh, I have a a once-a-month phone call that involves people who are leaders of with of uh, uh, six other uh, spiritual communities because sometimes I need to hear advice and guidance from people that are not in the assembly, even in any way shape or form connected so i think it's still possible to create that some kind of peer group or support group or feedback group but never underestimate the power of using community resources that are not pagan but are friendly to the idea of negotiation mediation and talking it through and never underestimate the power mm-hmm. of uh, having uh, periodic open-ended discussion groups in your coven as a way of clearing the air
2: well, this brings us to our final question, yep. and this is um, a listener question. It said, I just started studying witchcraft a few months ago, and I am obsessed. I want to meet other witches in the city and learn from their experiences. Overall, I am missing community during COVID, and I think I could learn a lot from a coven. Do you have any suggestions on resources or groups meeting virtually that could be helpful but also respect social distancing, which is such a timely and serious issue. Um, so what, what do you advise witches to do and how they can meet, get started with the group during this really awful time, which we're probably going to be in for quite a while.
1: I would start and, and uh, depending upon their geography, it varies, but I would start actually uh, going online and going through social media and finding the name of uh, each large group that you can think of in small group and contact them directly and say, hey, I understand that during this time period you you may or may not have to have anything going on, but uh, do you have anything that's open that's online? Are you having any Zoom rituals or Zoom classes or whatever platform they're using? And I think you'll be surprised how many people are doing stuff like that. Or see if your uh, local... Uh, bookstores uh, are, are doing any kind of online sessions, uh, go to a variety of groups online and post and simply ask because there isn't, we we do not have the resource anymore of a central repository where I can say, go look up on which box where everything is. That's, that was, it was more abundant for a long time, but we don't right. have a central location for that kind of information. So it requires a little bit of uh, internet legwork to send out some emails and say, I know you, you can't join. And by the way, I'm going to be real hard-ass about this. I mean, we've had at our leadership uh, meetings uh, discussion about this. And basically, the assembly, none of our covens are meeting in person. All, all, all initiations are on hold uh, until things get better. And uh, we are now, since, since uh, the beginning of the year, we haven't had any in-person meetings and don't expect any until sometime next year. So I, if a coven uh, is mm. not l- practicing social distancing, masking the whole deal, and if it looks like uh, they're they're not taking this seriously, that would be a red flag for me all by itself. Make, put put a circle around yourself of how many nearby states, if you have to do it that way, or nearby cities, and start Googling and searching and sending an email to each store, each each group, and say, do you have anything virtual going on? And if you're on groups online, mm. whether it's... Uh, Uh, Facebook or MeWe or wherever you are nowadays, um, you know, post a question. uh, Is anybody aware of any virtual activities that are available for me? And you can also do what, worst comes to worst, uh, I have a couple of friends that have started uh, virtual meetups where they basically, you know, once a month, uh, they uh, host a open Zoom meeting for anybody that's pagan that just wants to uh, sit around and uh, chat about anything.
2: So um, anyway, Evo. Uh, your upcoming book is The Four Elements of the Wise, which I've had a chance to preview, and it's outstanding. So I'm hoping everybody keeps an eye out for it. Um, also, how can people keep in touch with you?
1: Well, it's pretty easy if you uh, go to com. I try to keep my website updated. There's also a link there to sign up for my mailing list.
2: All right. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for listening. And, Evo, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, As a reminder, if you want to support the show, the best way is to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can also buy us a coffee. Check out our merch at our Etsy store. And, of course, for bonus content, uh, become a supporter on Patreon. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And for show notes, audio transcript, or to ask us a question for a future episode, go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then, keep moting that shit, and we will talk to you witches next week.
0: Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes and ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So, so mote it be.
2: And so there was this very... There was this I'm nun. Do you, you remember which nun I'm talking about? It was kind of like a combination of Nurse Ratchet and the little redheaded nun from Sister Act.
0: So, like the little, um, and she looked innocent and sweet. She
2: went up to Hillary and she was like, Hillary what seems to be the trouble? And of course, Hillary was mad at her and she knew it. She goes, you look so demonic. And Hillary was like, that's right, sister. I am
0: Satan. I love Satan. Satan, Satan, Satan. I like snap. I had it. I was like, and like my hair was like straight up in the air. And I was, we were good. I was in, I remember this very vividly. I was in overalls. I was like, we were getting ready for, I think, some sort of a dance or some sort of something. I was decorating for something. And I just had it. And she walked in and she's like, you look demonic. And I was like, that's right, bitch. I am demonic.
2: (laughs) Of course, this nun was not really frightened of Hillary, but was like,
0: "Oh, Hillary clutched my pearls. I got detention for that, too.